Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab the father of Nashon, of Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asa, and Asa the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, and Joram the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah the father of Jotham, and Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh the father of Amos, and Amos the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jeconiah and his brothers, at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abiud, and Abiud the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azor, and Azor the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Akim, and Akim the father of Eliud, and Eliud the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar the father of Matan, and Matan the father of Jacob. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were fourteen generations. And from David to the deportation to Babylon, fourteen generations. And from the deportation of Babylon to the Christ, fourteen generations. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together. She was found to be with child of the Holy Spirit and her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her her quietly. But as he considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and his name shall be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not, until she had borne a son. And he called his name Jesus. He speaks to you who proclaims the gospel. Name of the Lord.
of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God. Today we hear about the great cloud of witnesses, all of those forefathers of Christ, and foremothers as well of Christ. All of the righteous who preceded Christ, and who foretold of His coming. In the Gospel we hear about the genealogy from Abraham all the way down to Joseph, the husband of Mary. And in that genealogy, we, if you listen closely, you heard a lot of those uh, all-stars of the Old Testament. Those like Abraham, who went and left everything that he had and followed God, even to the point of being willing to sacrifice his own son. You heard the name of Jacob, who wrestled with the Lord and who had this vision of the ladder going up into heaven, the staircase going up into heaven, and the angels ascending and descending. And of course, this has become for us an archetype of the Theotokos. And then we heard about David, who I'm sure all of the kids know about the little pebble that he took with the giant man, Goliath, and he's flung that pebble. He was completely unafraid. And he said that God alone will cause this to happen. And sure enough, he was able to defeat Goliath. Then we heard about Solomon, who built the temple, and all of these names go on and on. All of these who were the ones who were before Christ, who were in anticipation, in eagerness. And then even in the epistle, we hear more about the amazing feats that took place with all of those righteous people before Christ. I'll just read a little bit of the epistle. It says, Through faith they conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, received promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched raging fire, escaped the edge of the sword, won strength out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received their dead by resurrection. All of these attested through faith. In fact, that whole passage in the book of Hebrews goes through so many Old Testament characters and says, by faith, or through faith, they did this. Through faith, they did that. Through faith, they did this. Again and again, all of this unwavering faith that we saw in these forefathers of Christ. But of course, being a follower of Christ, being, of course, in the Old Testament, a follower of God, didn't always mean that you conquered kingdoms. Because the epistle continues by saying, Some were tortured, refusing to accept release, that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mockings and scourgings, even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, they were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, of whom the world was not worthy. So truly, they lived their lives with one singular focus. And that focus upon God did also result in conquering kingdoms, in overcoming enemies, but it also meant that they were scourged, they were abused, they were mistreated, they were killed, all of these things, and yet that focus remained on on God and on the Messiah. All of this leads up to what we celebrate tomorrow, which is that great day in which the Messiah comes. Emmanuel comes, the Anointed One, the one whom all of the Israel, Israel, the Jewish people, the nation of Israel, all of them were looking to this one person. And in fact, he would unite all people together. And so this is, of course, what we celebrate tomorrow. This is what it means, the incarnation of our Lord. 
Because God, in His great humility, came and took on our human form. Everything in the life of the forefathers was towards this direction, towards this truth that was revealed to us, which we celebrate just tomorrow. And in fact, in a lot of traditional Orthodox churches, you see this in the iconography. In the dome, there's Christ, and surrounded by Christ are the angels, and then the next ones down are all of the forefathers, all of the patriarchs, all of the righteous from the beginning of time. And then below that are the apostles and evangelists. And of course, in almost every Orthodox church, we have that icon in the back, behind the altar. And that icon is called the Platitera. It is uh, short for Platitera Tonoronon, which means more spacious than the heavens. The icon is the reminder that God completely and fully humbled Himself for our salvation. Because God is more spacious than the heavens. How could God, who is more spacious than the heavens, possibly go into the tiny space of the womb of a human being? How could God do this? And this is that great mystery. And so this icon is always here to remind us of the Incarnation. And to remind us that God came down from heaven, through the Virgin, into humanity. This is what we celebrate. One of the hymns that is always very poignant in the the Royal Hours service, if any of you were here on Friday, is this hymn that echoes a hymn that we have on Great and Holy Friday during Holy Week. And this hymn, it's, it's, if you remember when the cross is processed through the church during Holy Friday, or Holy Thursday night, it's repeated on Holy Friday during the Royal Hours. And this hymn that we have for the Royal Hours and the Nativity reflects that. But it focuses so much on this profound mystery of God humbling Himself. The hymn says, Today He who holds the whole world in His hand is born from a virgin. And this is a summary of the icon behind the altar. He who in essence is imperceptible is swaddled in rags as a mortal. His essence is completely unknowable to us, and yet He has made Himself completely knowable to us. God who established the heavens of old in the beginning is lying in a manger. He who rained down manna for the people in the wilderness is breastfed with milk. Just think of that picture. All of these tens of thousands of people who fled from Egypt, He fed all of them with this manna again and again, feeding them, feeding them. And here He is, entirely dependent on a human for nourishment. What great humility. He who is the bridegroom of the church is summoning magi. And he, that son of the virgin, is accepting their gifts. We adore your nativity, O Christ. We adore your nativity, O Christ. We adore your nativity, O Christ. Show us also your divine epiphany. Many of you who are familiar with Great and Holy Friday and Holy Thursday will remember the echoing of those same words in that service. But this ultimately is the story of the Incarnation, is one of humble, humble love. He puts Himself completely below all of us to bring us up into salvation. My brothers and sisters, the one lesson for us on the Incarnation is how can we truly join ourselves to Christ? And how do we join ourselves to Christ? By being humble. By putting ourselves below everyone around us. 
Why? Because this is the path that Christ took. This is the path that Christ gave us. And if we wish to unite ourselves to Him in His humility, just remember remember this icon. Look at that icon. God who is beyond all the heavens has allowed Himself only for His humble love to be contained in a womb. And what can we do to follow that same path of Christ? To humble ourselves so that we too can become true Christians. And through us, then Christ will shine into the world. Amen.